0: This is the name of the Lord. To say that His name is glorious is to say that uh, He is worthy and that He is worthy of honor. For in the Scriptures, when we speak of someone's name, it represents more than just uh, a word or phrase. It represents who they are, their identity and uh, their character. So let me invite you to open the Scriptures with me once again this morning. Let me invite you to open with me to the book of Judges. Uh, Judges chapter 6 is where we'll be uh, today. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, uh, Ruth, page 195. If you're using a pew Bible and certainly would encourage you to do so if you don't have a copy of of God's word with you. But uh, Judges chapter 6. Well, last Sunday we learned that God is a God who hears our cries for help. Uh, He sees us in our need, and He responds to our cries for help. He hears our cries for help. Uh, And today we turn to a story in the Scriptures where God's people actually cry out to Him for help. They're in need, and they cry out to the Lord. They're desperate. They're miserable. They're oppressed. They're surrounded by a people who want to utterly destroy them, the Midianites. These are the same people that... Uh, took joseph from his brothers that purchased joseph from his brothers and carried him off to egypt but a few hundred years have now passed in the biblical story god has delivered the israelites the offspring of abraham and isaac and jacob and joseph he's delivered them from bondage in egypt they've wandered in the desert for a good while and now they are in the promised land life is supposed to be good It's a land flowing with milk and honey, but it's not. It's not good. It's not what the Lord had intended it to be because of their disobedience to the Lord. They've experienced some hard times, some difficult times, ongoing battles, foreign invasions, intermarriage with unbelievers, the incorporation of idolatry. They forgot God's greatness and his goodness to them. The Midianites, this pagan people, plotted against them. The scriptures tell us that they came from the east and they camped on the land and they destroyed Israel's crops and they killed her livestock. In fact, we read in this chapter, verse 6, that Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. And this really became the pattern during the time of the judges. The people would sin, they would forget the Lord, they would drift from him, they would sin and God would punish them. They would cry out to the Lord for help and the Lord would hear the cry and he would rescue them. Sin, punishment, repentance, and deliverance, a cycle that repeats itself again and again and again. And so here in this episode, God hears their cry for help and he responds and he responds and he reminds them why they are in the trouble that they're in. he says in verse 10, you have not listened to me. You have not listened to me. You see, God's relationship with us, God's relationship with his people is a lot like uh, the parent-child relationship. And like a loving father or a loving mother, God responds to his people's cry for help. He's merciful and he's committed. He rescued them before and he would rescue them again. He had called them and he had chosen them and he would continue to be their God and to carry out his good plans for them. He raised up judges who would lead them and deliver them from their enemies. Today we look at the story of one of those judges, a man named Gideon. So let's look at God's word together. Let me invite you to stand where you are for the reading of God's word. Judges chapter 6. Beginning in verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Verse 13, Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour he made bread without yeast. Put in the meat in a basket and its broth on a, in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. And the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it stands in Ophrah of the Abiezrites. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we do thank you for this day, Lord, a day that you have made. Father, we thank you for your word and your word that speaks to us. Lord, we thank you for life and life in you that is portrayed and recounted and described in your word. So Lord, we pray now that presence and the guidance and the conviction and the encouragement and the correction of your spirit would be felt and known by us as we hear your word, as we respond to it. Lord, apply it to our lives today as your people. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, church, you may be seated. Well, over the summer, over the last uh, few weeks, we've been considering various names and titles of God that are recounted in His Word through various stories of the Bible that help us know Him, help us uh, recognize Him and understand Him and get a glimpse of His character. We we want to know God by name. We want to know Him through the language and the imagery uh, that His Word uses to describe Him, the language found in His own Word. And through this dramatic encounter between Gideon and God, we hear another title for God, Yahweh Shalom. The Lord is peace. The sovereign Lord comes in peace in this story to Gideon, but not because of anything in Gideon, not because of any righteousness in Gideon. No, this story is a clear reminder to us that God calls imperfect people to participate in his perfect plans. God that we serve, the God that we worship, the one and only God is a God who again and again and again calls imperfect people to participate in His perfect plans. I I wonder what you think of when you hear the word saint. If I said to you about someone, I said, she's uh, a saint, what might you think? How would you take it? You might think she's a good person. She's an especially devout, holy woman, someone who reads the Bible a lot, and someone who Spends a lot of time in prayer. Someone who cares a lot about the hurting. Maybe someone God is more prone to hear in prayer. The Bible doesn't use the word saint like this. Like The Bible uses the word saint to refer to all God's people who have only received such a status, such a label, such a title by the saving grace of God through Jesus Christ. Church, if you're anything like me, then... You consider biblical characters that God has used to be spiritual giants, to be faith superstars that loved and trusted and served God no matter what. You know, I think I've always had this mostly positive picture of Gideon a man called by God to do something great, to lead the Israelites into battle and to deliver them from their enemies. But that perspective I want to share with you this morning was altered significantly as I revisited the story in recent days. See, if you know the Bible, if you're familiar with some of the other scriptures, uh, some of the other stories of the Bible, then, then perhaps you notice that the call of Gideon resembles the call of Moses. In both accounts, the men are away from the public eye, they're seemingly hiding, and the Lord appears to them and He says, I'm sending you. And in both accounts, the men object immediately. They begin to recount their inadequacies, and they need reassuring, and they need to be shown a sign from God of His incredible power and His presence with them. But though Moses had his faults, Gideon is no Moses. Initially, he he questions the Lord's goodness, saying to the angel, Where are all God's wonders? Translation When I look around, God, I don't see you. With all that's happening here, with all the turmoil that my people in it people are in, I, I see no evidence, God, of your presence with me. See, Gideon is an imperfect man called by God to participate in God's perfect plans. As a family, we started reading the Jesus uh, Storybook Bible just several days ago. By the way, if you've got young kids, excellent resource that depicts the story of God's Word beautifully, uh, especially for children. But in this particular uh, Storybook Bible, in the opening devotional, the the author of this text, Sally Lloyd-Jones, writes these words about the Bible. Listen to what she says. She says, Some people think the Bible is a book of heroes. Showing you people you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it, but most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes. They get afraid and run away. At times they are downright mean. She continues, No, the Bible isn't a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. Beautiful words describing what the message of the Bible, the story of the Bible is church. Isn't this what we're seeing through the Old Testament episodes that we've been considering? As we read about Abraham and Moses and David and Gideon, sure, we we see some admirable qualities. We see some evidence of God's work in their lives, but we also see some big mistakes. God must be behind these smaller stories. He, he must be behind these little episodes unfolding a bigger story, a greater plan, a bigger episode... Through these imperfect people. You see, through God's work in the lives of his people, we see that God is compassionate, he is faithful, and he is incredibly patient. God is a God who's, who's compassionate, He's always faithful, and He is incredibly patient. You see, initially, Gideon doesn't even seem to pursue perceive whom he's talking to. Much like the two on the road to Emmaus when they encountered the resurrected Jesus. He questions God's character. He questions God's goodness. He, he makes excuses and he wants a sign to be sure of who it is that is calling him to this task. He asks God to stay and to wait on him so that he can be sure. And what does God do? He says, okay, I'll wait. God could have said a lot of things in that moment. He could have said, I've got some other business to to, some other people to talk to, some prayers to respond to. I've got a universe to sustain. And listen to what God says to Gideon. In verse 18, he says, I will wait until you return. Gideon, I'll wait. So Gideon then goes inside and he prepares this giant meal as if he's preparing a meal for the gods to consume rather than a sacrifice to be made to the Lord God. God is compassionate. God is faithful. God is patient with Gideon but not just with Gideon in fact this is what he's doing through Gideon with his people the Israelites responding to the cry for help he's calling Gideon he's devising plans to use Gideon and others to hear the cry and to bring them peace with him and friends this is the way he is with us too he's compassionate he's faithful he's patient See, in the midst of hardship and pain, anxiety and uncertainty, disappointment and trouble, God's presence provides peace for His people. God's presence provides peace for His His people. And throughout the Bible, encounters with God often spark fear, and, and they should. For unlike the many false gods, the pagan gods worshipped in the ancient Near Eastern world, God is real. This God is real. Yahweh is real. And not only is he real, he is incomparable. There is no one else like him for he made us. He's the king of the universe and he is the Lord of armies. All life owes its existence to him and all people are accountable to him. Not only is he all powerful... Not only does he hold together all things, but he is also holy. He's set apart. He's in a category all by himself. He's he's holy and he's just. Meaning that he must hold sinners accountable for wrong. God hates sin. He made us to live in relationship with him. I hope you know that. Let that sink in. This is why God made us. He, He made us to know him and to enjoy him, to find satisfaction in him made us to be in relationship with Him, but because we have rebelled against Him, that relationship has been deeply disrupted. It's been eternally broken, and we deserve death. See, when sinners stand before the perfect God, they deserve death. For God cannot tolerate sin in His holy presence. And yet, for those who whom God calls to be His own, to be His people, to be His children, He provides a way to enter His presence, to commune with Him once again, to delight in and to enjoy Him. This is His grace. Only by God's grace can we see Him and live. And only by God's grace can Gideon see God and live. Judges chapter 6, verse 22. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed... Alas, Sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. In other words, he's fearful. He realizes that he has encountered the Lord God. But the Lord said to him, verse 23, Peace, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You are not going to die. And Gideon realizes he's the recipient of God's grace. He responds with worship. Begins to worship God. We read verse 24. "He, He built an altar to the Lord. And called it the Lord is peace. The altars are places of sacrifice. They're places of worship. Altars were built not just to the Lord. But to all kinds of pagan gods in the ancient world. They were built as places where people would come. And they would bow before a God. They would strive to appease a God. To worship a God. We don't build altars like this anymore. Because... The ultimate sacrifice has been given on the altar of the cross. The closest thing that we have to an altar in this place would be our communion table where we remember that sacrifice, look back and reflect on what Jesus has done for us and we anticipate the Lord's return. The right response to recognizing God's grace in our lives is to worship Him. Friends, see His greatness and His grace and worship Him. Worship Him. When you see light penetrate the window of your house in the morning, you know it's morning and you better start think about getting up. You see the leaves begin to change colors in the fall. You know that cooler weather is on the way. And if you live in Alabama, you automatically breathe a sigh of relief, right? And when you see the greatness... Of the Almighty God, and yet experience His grace. You cannot help but want to worship Him. Have you seen His greatness and His grace? Have you considered who He is and how He has dealt with you and with me? Yes, He is high and He's lofty, He's splendid, majestic. He is the one who holds all things in His powerful hand, and yet He is also near and He's personal, He's patient and He's kind. Friend, He loves you. And He longs for you and for me to know the joy that is found in worshiping Him alone. Worship Him. The combination of God's greatness and His grace beckons us to praise Him. We realize how grand He is, how magnificent He is, how sovereign He is, how incomparable He is, and yet He has dealt mercifully for us with us. We cannot help but to want to praise Him. But unfortunately, even after we encounter God, we still struggle with sin. We know this. We still have a tendency to go our own way. Even after God invites us to be His and to be used by Him, we are still prone to go our own way without Him, ignoring Him. In fact, as this story continues right after Gideon speaks with God, this is what he does. This is where we pick up the story. Let's look back at the text. Judges chapter 6, verse 25. The story continues. That same night, the Lord said to Gideon, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top, on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. In the morning when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it, cut down, and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon, son of Joash, did this. The people of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son. He must die because he's broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Verse 31, but Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when something breaks down his altar. So because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name Jerubal that day, saying, let Baal contend with him. So as the story unfolds, the rest of the story unfolds here, we, we find out more about Gideon. We find out more about his family. We find more about the Israelites in his day. Not only has the nation run after false gods publicly practicing the worship of idols. Asherah, by the way, was the fertility goddess of the Canaanites, and Baal was the supreme god of the Canaanites. Not only has the nation run after these gods, but Gideon's own family, his own father, perhaps Gideon himself, and the people of his small town were practicing idolatry even as they cried out to Yahweh, the one true God for help. And presumably, if they were doing it there, it was happening throughout the nation. And God demands His people remove idolatry and return to Him. God that we worship, only God, God who alone is worthy of worship and praise, He demands His people remove idolatry and return to Him. You see, God calls Gideon to lead, and the first task of his leadership is to tear down the idols and to build a proper altar to God, remove idolatry and return to proper worship. Gideon does this rather quickly, it seems. Verse 27, he took ten of his servants and he did as the Lord told him. But how disappointing it is, it should be, for us readers to hear that the reason for his hasty obedience was motivated by fear of his fellow man rather than eagerness to obey the Lord. Yes, he obeys. But at the moment, he's more concerned about peace in town and peace with his family than he is peace with God. The depth and the extent of idolatry is evidenced by the anger from the town, right? They want to kill Gideon. They want to get rid of him, but the Lord protects him. The Lord is patient with sinners, the Lord is patient with us. He's slow to anger. He tarries His wrath, for He longs for sinners to repent. He demands that His people return to Him. Have you wandered from the Lord? Have you wandered from the Lord? Have you drifted from communion with God, being in right fellowship, consistent fellowship with Him? Have you wandered from, from Him? Are you chasing after the idols of fame or money or pleasure or success, while at the same time calling Jesus... Your Lord is Christ on the throne of your heart. See, He will not share His throne with any other. His Word confronts us, an act of God's grace, calling us to listen to Him and to repent. Let's listen to the Lord and repent. When we run after other things, when we drift from Him, as we are all so prone to do, let's listen to the Word of the Lord and let's repent. Let's return to Him by His Spirit. And through His Word, God confronts us In our sin. Let's listen and repent. Let's take heed. Let's return to the Lord today. Worship Him. Exalt His name. Bow before Him. Surrender to Him. Respond to His call. And serve Him. Delight in Him. For there is no greater joy than to be in right relationship, right fellowship with Him. For He made us to know and enjoy Him forever. Do you know Him? Do you know God? Do you know Him personally? Intimately, are you walking with him? Turn to Yahweh Shalom today, and you will find peace and rest for your weary soul. See, I'm confident that if you're a believer, then you know this. You know the pain and the shame of drifting from the Lord, of believing the lie in the moment that sin is better. Of striving to fill the God-shaped hole with something less than God. And perhaps because you know that's true, you, you don't judge Gideon. You don't judge the other imperfect judges that God used or the Israelites in their day. For you identify with their cycle of wavering trust and devotion to God. And like them, you and I are often hesitant to listen and repent driving a a deeper and deeper wedge between us and the Lord, drifting farther and farther from Him. See, even the saints are sinners. John reminds us, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. If we claim to have no sin, we're, we're lying, we're fooling ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just. And will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Sinner, confess your sin to the Lord today. Return to Him. Return to Him and He will forgive you. He is gracious, He is compassionate, He is faithful, and He is patient. God demands His people remove idolatry and return to Him. So let's listen to the Lord and repent of our sinful ways. Then let's trust and obey the Lord fully. Let's trust and obey Him fully fully. Gideon's fear was misplaced, and his struggle to trust God fully would continue as the story unfolded for the rest of his life. He obeyed, but he often obeyed with hesitation, torn between fearing God and fearing his fellow man. I think we often do the same thing, and yet our Lord says to us, "Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in in hell." In other words, your respect for me, and your obedience to me, and your trust for me, and your allegiance to me, should be far greater. God says than Anywhere else in this world. And James, the brother of Christ, he warns us, do not merely listen to the word, right? And so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. May we be men and women, boys and girls of faith, who hear the word of God and respond with full obedience, trusting Him. And when we don't, because we know at times we won't, and when we don't, may the word of God confront us and the spirit of God convict us and may we return to Him. You see, the time of the judges was a dark time in Israel's history. The final verse of the book says it was a time when everyone did as they saw fit. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone did what they wanted. A fitting description of the fallen human condition. A fitting summary of the sin problem that grips the human race. You see, the Lord, our maker, is the God of peace, but he cannot and he does not and he will not deal with sin peacefully. God is peace to the righteous. He is a God of peace to the righteous. But friends, the Bible lays out the problem rather clearly in Romans chapter 3, verse 10. There is no one righteous. No one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. God is peace to the righteous, but we have not been found righteous. We were not found righteous. And yet even so, church, the compassionate, always faithful, and incredibly patient God devised a perfect plan before the creation of the world to make the unrighteous righteous. Whereby they could enjoy his peace. A plan that was foretold by the prophets. For to us a child is born. Isaiah said. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. And a plan. Recounted by. The apostles. Paul proclaimed. God made him. Who had no sin. God made. Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, the perfect man, the only perfect human ever to walk this earth. God made that one who had no sin to be sin for us, to become sin for us, to take on our sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, in a plan proclaimed by imperfect Creatures across this city and around the world on this Lord's day who have been made perfect in his sight. Standing before gathered congregations like this one this morning declaring the gospel news that God is peace to the righteous. God is peace to the righteous, to those reconciled to him through faith in his son. To the righteous, God says what he already said to Gideon. An imperfect Man saved only by the grace of God. To the righteous, God says, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. Peace, do do not be afraid, brother, sister, child of God. You are not going to die, God says, For I so loved you that I sent my one and only Son to accomplish for you what you can never do on your own, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God says, I will be with you. I am with you. He says, wait here. Wait here on this earth, brothers and sisters. He says, wait here and worship me. Trust me. Serve me. Obey me. Listen to me. Walk by faith in me. Wait here, friends, God says, until I return for you. And Father, may we be a people who wait and who trust, who worship, who serve, Lord, who walk with You and anticipate Your return. Father, we recognize through Your Word today, through Your voice today, that You are a God who brings peace to the righteous. And yet, even so, Lord, we recognize and acknowledge today that in and of ourselves, none of us are are righteous. But By Your grace and through Your plan, According to your mercy, you have extended righteousness to the unrighteous. Lord, you have extended forgiveness to sinners. Lord, you have extended eternity and life to to sinners. Lord, to us. Father, grip us with the truths of your word. Overwhelm us by your presence, by who you are by your call upon our lives and may we respond in a way that glorifies the one and only name that is above every name father may we respond in a way that glorifies the name of jesus christ or the great i am the good shepherd the alpha and the omega god who is and who was and who is to come Father, may we respond in a way that glorifies you. Lead us to worship you. Lead us to know you. Lead us to delight in you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.